Lipoprotein A can cause heart attacks, cause strokes, can cause the aortic valve to become damaged, calcified, and narrowed. We may be reaching, you know, LDL cholesterol reductions of 50 to 60 percent. You know, why don't we eliminate 90 percent of a heart patient's risk for future events? My first line in the sand for patients is an anti-junk, anti-crap, anti-processed diet and very plant-forward. And the only data for serious heart disease is plant-based diets. You go from garbage to good, you'll see transition. Welcome to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast, where we meet the world's top experts to explore the secrets of health, mindset, longevity, and so much more. Are you ready to take charge of your existence and biohack your life? This show is for you. Please keep in mind, we're not dispensing medical advice and are not responsible for any outcomes you may experience from implementing the tactics lying herein. Are you ready? Let's do this. Welcome back to the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. Oh my goodness, friends, I am so excited about today's episode. The information contained within is so profound. It is quite a paradigm shift when it comes to taking charge of your cholesterol and your cardiac health. When viewed through the lens of LP little a, it definitely has made me rethink the role of diet and genetics in cardiovascular disease. It was such an honor to have Dr. Khan on the show, and we talk about a lot of fun things like the Kempner rice diet, which was basically eating all rice and sugar and radically improving people's health. We talk about the Sean Baker, Paul Saladino carnivore side of things versus the Walter Longo more plant-based side of things. We talk about what goes into becoming a centenarian, the future of testing, of course, one of my favorite things, the role of wine in longevity, and so much more. I am so grateful for the work that Dr. Khan is doing. I can't recommend enough that you check out his new book, on LP Little A, Lipoprotein A, The Heart's Quiet Killer. We'll put links to it in the show notes. Hopefully everybody can get tested for this. You only have to get tested once to know if you do have that genetic predisposition, and it can possibly explain so much when it comes to cardiovascular disease risk. The show notes for today's episode will be at melanieavalon.com slash LPA. The show notes will have a full transcript, so definitely check that out. There will be two episode giveaways for this episode. One will be in my Facebook group, IF Biohackers, Intermittent Fasting Plus Real Foods Plus Life. Comment something you learned or something that resonated with you on the pinned post to enter to win something that I love. And then find my Instagram, check out the Friday announcement post, and again, comment there to enter to win something that I love. I have a very exciting announcement, friends. I have officially launched a TikTok channel. I've been on Instagram for a while, but it is time for TikTok. And with the channel, I'm going to be posting daily, very high quality, awesome biohacking content, tips and tricks, things from my life. And I really want to bring the glam to biohacking because I feel like biohacking can be very male-centric or focused on a certain type of person. And I just want to break that stereotype and bring all the sparkles. So please join me there. My handle is Melanie Avalon official. Please let me know what you'd like to see from me, what you think of the content. I do feel pretty shy about it. So please join me so that we can be friends and just go on the most epic biohacking adventure. Okay, friends, spirulina update. It is still coming. I know it's been taking a while. It's just because I want to make the most ideal spirulina tablets on the market. 
ones that are tested for purity and potency and to be free of all pesticides and just the highest quality. So we've got that spirulina source. It tastes awesome. The issue we're experiencing is that in order to make it into tablets, it requires another ingredient. If you're currently taking spirulina tablets and they say they are one ingredient, they are not one ingredient. There is something in there that is helping to keep that structure. So we're trying to figure out which route to go with this. It's really fun because I keep trying different samples. I think I know which one I like the most, but we'll see which one I end up picking. Either way, I really love the taste of our spirulina. It doesn't taste fishy or LGE, and I really experienced the benefits. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, you can get my other Avalon X supplements at avalonx.us. Friends, have you jumped on the serapeptase bandwagon yet? That's what I launched with, and to this day, it continues to be my most favorite supplement ever. It's a proteolytic enzyme created by the Japanese silkworm. When you take it in the fasted state, it actually breaks down non-living problematic proteins in your body, so it can help address an array of issues. Like I said, it will clear your sinuses, calm inflammation, it may help reduce cholesterol. Studies have shown it can break down amyloid plaque. It can help alleviate pain and so much more. I take it daily. It is one of the most important supplements in my arsenal. This is the new year. Start it off right. Get some serapeptase. You can get 10% off with the coupon code MELANIEAVALON, as well as a 20% off code when you text AVALONX to 877-861-8318. That's AVALONX to 877-861-8318. Those codes will also work with my fantastic partner, MD Logic Health. For that, go to melanieavalon.com slash mdlogic. And of course, all of my supplements I formulated to be the very best on the market. They're tested multiple times for heavy metals and mold. They're free of all common allergens as well as problematic fillers, which goes back to that whole spirulina formulation issue I was talking about. They come in glass bottles to help prevent leaching of plastics into ourselves and the environment. And we even use the minimal amount of stickiness required for the labels to help with our environmental impact. To get these fantastic products, go to avalonx.us and definitely get on my email list so that you don't miss the spirulina launch special. For that, go to avalonx.us slash email list. Another resource for you guys if you struggle with food sensitivities like I do, you have got to get my app, Food Sense Guide. It's a comprehensive catalog of over 300 foods for 11 potentially problematic compounds. These include things you may be reacting to, like gluten, lectins, FODMAPs, histamine, oxalates, sulfites, thiols, whether or not something is a nightshade, and so much more. It even includes autoimmune paleo AIP status. You can learn about the compounds, create your own list to share and print, and finally take charge of your food sensitivities. It is a top Apple app, often in the top 10 for the Apple food and drinks charts. And friends, get it now because I'm going to be updating it to a subscription basis soon. So you definitely want to get grandfathered in for life at one super low price. With the subscriptions, by the way, I'm going to be implementing some pretty cool features. So I need to do subscriptions to help support that. So like I said, get it now. Before we change to subscriptions, you can get it at melanieavalon.com slash foodsenseguide. And one more thing before we jump in. Did you know there are over a thousand compounds found in conventional skincare and makeup in the U.S. that have been banned in Europe due to their toxicity? If you are using conventional skincare and makeup, you are directly putting into your bloodstream toxic compounds, including obesogens, which can literally cause your body to store and gain weight. So if your diet's not working, you might want to think about what's happening with your skincare and makeup, as well as carcinogens linked to cancer. I'm not making this up. And just endocrine disruptors in general, which 
mess with our hormones. Thankfully, there's an easy solution to this. There's a company called Beauty Counter, and they were founded on a mission to change this. Every single ingredient is extensively tested to be safe for your skin, so you can truly feel good about what you put on, and their products really work. I am obsessed with their overnight resurfacing peel, their vitamin C serum, they have shampoo and conditioner, skincare lines for every skin type, and incredible makeup. It's so amazing that Tina Fey actually wore all beauty counter makeup when she hosted the Golden Globes. So yes, it is high definition camera ready. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Melanie Avalon and use the coupon code cleanforall20 to get 20% off site-wide. You can get the latest updates from me, specials, sales, samples, and so much more on my email list. That's at melanieavalon.com slash cleanbeauty. And you can join me in my Facebook group, Clean Beauty and Safe Skincare with Melanie Avalon. People share product reviews and their experiences, and I do a giveaway every single week in that group as well. And lastly, if you're thinking of making clean beauty and safe skincare a part of your future, like I have, I definitely recommend becoming a Band of Beauty member. It's sort of like the Amazon Prime for clean beauty. You get 10 back in product credit, free shipping on qualifying orders, and a welcome gift that is worth way more than the price of the year-long membership. It is totally completely worth it. And I'll put all this information in the show notes. An important announcement, friends. My EMF blocking products are coming. Make sure you don't miss the launch special. For that, get on my email list at melanieavalon.com slash EMF email list. EMFs are actually classified by the IARC as a group 2B, possibly carcinogenic to humans. These are such a problem. We are exposed to them through our Wi-Fi, our cell phones, our AirPods, And they are linked to so many health issues, including anxiety, migraines, headaches, even fertility issues. This is such a problem. Thankfully, you can address your EMF exposure. I'm going to help with that with my Avalon X EMF blocking product line. So again, get on my email list at melanieavalon.com slash EMF email list to check that out. All right, without further ado, please enjoy this fabulous conversation with Dr. Joel Kahn. Hi, friends. Welcome back to the show. I am so incredibly excited about the conversation that I am about to have. So the backstory on today's conversation, I think I was first exposed to the work of today's guest quite a while ago, probably I think it was 2018 when he was on Joe Rogan debating Chris Kresser, somebody else that my audience is probably very familiar with. Listeners, I've talked about this before, but I have a list of guests that I call them dream guests that I would love to have on the show. And it kind of just sits there because now we're so booked out so far that I don't really actively reach out to people. And then So this guest, Dr. Joel Kahn, was on the list. And then a few months ago, an article published in CNBC about this podcast and the show. And he reached out to me on Instagram about collaborating. And I was so excited. So that was an immediate yes for me. We booked it. Here we are. I have since gone through quite a few of his books, a lot of the research. So I am just, I'm just so excited and so honored that you are here. Thank you for being here, Dr. Khan. Well, thank you. That's a heck of an introduction. I'm kind of sorry my mother wasn't sitting next to me to enjoy it with me. I can be your publicist. I'll just walk around with you everywhere. A lot of my listeners 
probably are familiar with your work, but for those who are not, you are known as America's Healthy Heart Doctor. You've been on Dr. Phil and the Doctors, and you're a clinical professor of medicine at Wayne State University School of Medicine, founder of the Con Center for Cardiac Longevity. You have a restaurant, Green Space and Go, and you have so many books, an overwhelming amount of books, including The Whole Heart Solution, Vegan Sex, And then two that I have in front of me right now that I recently read, The Plant-Based Solution, as well as Lipoprotein A, The Heart's Quiet Killer. So I have so many different things I would love to talk about. I know we're both a fan of wine, so we're going to have to talk about that at some point. But for listeners who are not familiar with your work, would you like to tell them a little bit about your personal story? What led you to being the legend that you are today? Often a legend in my own mind, but still appreciate the kindness. I had a couple moments in my life that proved in retrospect to be important. I was born 64 years ago with a murmur, a murmur's a noise that the pediatrician hears, made my mother nervous. I was found early in life to have a little hole in my heart. It is no big deal. I get no sympathy for it at all. Closed up, healed up, no surgery. But I started seeing a pediatric cardiologist from birth. I don't remember that part, but I remember going when I was four and five and eight and nine and 13 and ultimately was told you don't need to come anymore. And I kind of fell in love with cardiology. Lucky for me, I had a murmur because if you would have asked me about age 10, what do you want to grow up to be? It would have been, I want to be a heart doctor. So that was one little piece that was, you know, not pre-planned, but worked out. Uh, when you got lemons, you make lemonade, as they say. And then the second thing was I grew up in a home in suburban Detroit where we honored certain dietary laws called keeping kosher. Most people are familiar with that. We didn't do cheeseburgers and we didn't do ham and pork. And when I went to college, because I was you know, by no means a highly observant person, but that was one aspect of my culture I really enjoyed, actually. My mother was a very good cook. The only option if I wanted to keep that tradition was to mainly eat from the salad bar in the dormitory in Ann Arbor, Michigan. And I embarked on a salad bar diet for the first few months and had a girlfriend with me who was doing the same thing at the dorm. And that girlfriend is a wife of 42 and a half years now. So that stuck. And we both felt so good that we kind of quietly became vegetarian vegans. It was no big deal back then. It wasn't like it was in the media all the time. At the same time, my parents, mainly my mother dragged my father, they went to California to the Pritikin Longevity Center, and they spent a week. And my mother came back and started making lentil loaf instead of meatloaf at home. And I would come home once in a while on a weekend. I said, wow, I'm, you know, I'm getting salad bar at college. I'm getting lentil loaf on the weekend. And pretty much by age 18, 19, I was uh, completely a plant-based human. And I had no understanding of what that was, what it meant if it was good, if it was bad, it wasn't ethical, it wasn't environmental. It was an easy way to maintain those religious observance. But as I got into medical school in Ann Arbor and cardiology training, which I did in Ann Arbor and Dallas and Kansas City, I was already totally committed personally to this and started learning about who was a Nathan Pritikin of Santa Monica and Santa Barbara, California. And you know, very soon after, who was Dean Ornish, one of the world's most famous lifestyle doctors and promoting a plant-based whole food diet for heart disease reversal with science, with books, with interviews, debating Robert Atkins and sort of a famous guy. And 
So when I finally got into cardiology practice in 1990, I was trained to do stents and heart attacks and very aggressive stuff and loved it and actually was out of state, but came back to Michigan. Just great job, close to family, as it turned out, four seasons a year and have stayed here ever since. 1990, when I began my first practice, about six weeks later, Dr. Dean Ornish published the results of a one-year study called the Lifestyle Heart Trial. And it demonstrated that very sick and severe heart patients that adopted a combination of stress management, good sleep, regular exercise, and a whole food plant-based diet could actually be documented to reverse some of their atherosclerosis, could be documented to have less angina chest pain and dramatically better stress tests. And it was like the first real lifestyle medicine paper or research, serious research. It was in major journals. So the coincidence was six weeks into my new cardiology career, I started teaching patients that, you know, I've been doing this for 13 years already, and now there's some science. So if you want to read a book, Dr. Ornish has a book. If you want to go to a place, you can go to the Pritikin Center. If you want me to give you a little insight, and you know, it might be three minutes a visit out of the 15 minutes of visit I had in the office, where I found it was very effective. I was doing a heart catheterization on a patient, which might be 20, 30, 40 minutes together, a very special and bonding time, I would give them a little you know, information that this might be the last time you need to be in the hospital in the cath lab if we get you focused on healthy lifestyle. And that just snowballed to the last 10 or 12 years where I've gone back and done a lot of academic courses and university courses and you know, Institute for Functional Medicine and the A4M Anti-Aging Society and University of South Florida and other places. So I kind of left traditional cardiology about eight, nine years ago and now do completely kind of integrative, holistic-oriented, preventive cardiology. But it's very high-tech. It's very detailed labs and imaging. And it's a really fun blend of Eastern, Western, touchy-feely and precision medicine. I am, my patients know their physiology, their biochemistry, their genetics better than almost anybody around the country. And then we try and approach that with non-pharmaceutical approaches when we can and when it's safe. Oh my goodness. <laughs> There's so much there. Did you often make a joke about having a hole in your heart? I actually, you know, I'm a holistic cardiologist, so I, I haven't actually used that pun, but from now on, I will. Thank you. The other pun in that regard, and I steal it from Dr. Mark Hyman, a friend, as he calls it, being a holistic doctor is because your patients bring you a whole list of problems, a whole list of supplements, a whole list of other doctors they've seen, a whole list of tests they've had. You know, being holistic is sometimes incredibly challenging and brain expanding because we don't just do, you know, I call it your grandfather's Oldsmobile medicine version 1.0. Either my patients bring to me or I introduce them to advanced testing. And, and there is a term, precision medicine, precision cardiology, which is not lip service. I think it's radical how more accurate we can be in early diagnosis of heart disease, avoiding heart attacks, characterizing heart disease if you have it, and then obviously squashing it down, preventing, reversing the whole thing so many things I want to ask you. So I guess to start things off, the audience for this show, they're very health conscious, a lot of paleo, a lot of keto. There are probably a lot of, I should do a poll actually and see the actual percentages. I'm sure there are a lot of vegans listening as well. 
So when we step back and look at the longest lived populations, like the blue zones, we see, you know, heavily plant-based diets. We do see, with the exception of Loma Linda, a little bit in all of those, a little bit of animal products. What I'm wondering is because in your books, you advocate a, you know, entirely plant-based vegan approach for cardiac health and longevity and everything overall. Do you see a big difference in health conscious patients who are completely vegan versus vegetarian versus paleo? Do you see an actual difference in their heart? First of all, good for you for knowing some of those subtleties of the blue zone, you know, locations and the differences between those five, you know, semi-academic. I'm a big fan of Dan Butner and a friend of his. And, you know, it's not exactly university research. It's, you know, his own personal mission to have visited and reported back to all of us. But, you know, the Loma Linda people do publish a lot of research out of uh, the university there and, and all. Number two, I'm, you know, I would call myself a builder of bridges between these food camps. I've been on Sean Baker's podcast a few times and can text him and chat with him. Paul Saladino, carnivore. We've been on national TV together. I won't call it the friendliest of interactions. It was a, it was set up to be a bit more of a debate and it was a debate. And you said that Joe Rogan, but you know, my first line in the sand for patients is an anti-junk, anti-crap, anti-processed, anti-fast you know, fast food, frozen diet. And I think all the disciplines, the Mediterranean diet, the paleolithic, the ketogenic, the carnivores and the ethics and microplastics and all the rest. So, you know, we're all elite eaters. We're all picky eaters. We're all demanding eaters. And I think, you know, we should, I've been to paleo FX. I've been a panelist. Uh, I don't think any other vegan doctor has ever been a panelist. Uh, then COVID came, so I didn't go back, but I would go back if uh, invited. So, uh, And I had a hell of a good time with Mark Sisson and some of the others. They respect that I'm not completely wacko. When you get to the science of it, and I don't want to go too long, but it's such an important question. You know, you asked me, do I see a difference? I mean, I only have a couple carnivore patients in my practice. I welcome them. I'll still take good care of them. But, you know, they are aware that I'm not going to, I I don't beat them up about their diet, but I'm not the doctor you go to to say, rah, rah, go, go. And, you know, because I do such advanced blood work on vitamin levels and inflammation levels and, you know, certainly cholesterol levels, there are some pretty god-awful findings, but it's only an N of two. And, you know, frankly, there aren't that many published lab values on any carnivores, Sean Baker, the famous orthopedic surgeon, MD, published his own blood work about 2017, and I would call it very concerning blood results, and maybe I missed it. I've never seen him publish updated blood work. He certainly looks like a stud, but his testosterone was low, his hemoglobin A1C was high, his creatinine kidney function was elevated, cholesterol wasn't ideal, and you know I wouldn't use it as a perfect example. But you, know, you don't try and take one person and base an entire conclusion on nutrition and longevity based on one person. I mean, I'm a pretty healthy guy in every aspect of holistic lifestyle, but, you know, God forbid something can happen. It doesn't mean that every research study on whole food plant-based diets was bogus because Joel Kahn got, God forbid, prostate cancer or some other calamity, and I hope I don't get it, but all things are possible even when you take precautions. 
when you look at the, so in my, in, in my practice, of course, I would say I've never done a survey either less than 50%, but a sizable portion are either really good whole food plant-based eaters or, you know, 95% plus with their own little version of a, a little fish or seafood here or there, occasional piece of meat here or there, but they're largely plant-based. And, you know, some, I'm, I, I'm almost numb to the fact when patients come to me and say, doc, and I changed my diet eight weeks ago and I'm down 14 pounds or three months ago and I'm down 24 pounds. I mean, it's so common, you know, and of course it, it depends where they came from. I mean, how, how horrific a version of the standard American diet to conversion. You know, they often read a book by me, by Dr. Esselstyn, by Dr. Ornish, by Dr. Furman. They're usually in a health crisis situation. They found out they had, you know, bad heart disease or blood pressure or diabetes, and they really jump in. And man, there's quick and amazing and important transformations with diet alone. Now, it probably could happen with paleolithic and ketogenic and even a Mediterranean diet. You know, you go from garbage to good, you'll see transition. But yeah, it really works. There is some randomized studies that, you know, particularly inflammation when you do extensive blood panels, responds better to whole food plant-based diets with all the fruits and the vegetables and the nuts and the seeds. And I'm an extra virgin olive oil snob and fan, and I include that in a good whole food plant-based diet and avocados. Some of the plant-based doctors exclude those, but I don't. You know, there is good data that you'll lower inflammation and improve your biomarkers. When you look at the science, I just want to point out one of my gurus in the nutrition science world is Dr. Walter Longo of University of Southern California and the Prolon Fasting Mimicking Diet. And I've had a lot of exposure to him and a lot of feedback from his uh, research interests and his company. And maybe your audience has heard this before or not, but, you know, he points out that because there's so few randomized studies in nutrition that go beyond, you know, six hours or six weeks or occasionally six months, it's so hard to do randomized studies of nutrition, unlike pharmaceutical agents, unlike surgical procedures, that you're dependent on other kinds of science and they're imperfect. He calls them the five pillars of nutritional longevity that you have to pay attention to case reports. Amazing examples of, you know, just one person who did well, didn't do well. You have to pay attention to biochemistry. Does it make sense that eating lots of fruits and vegetables, nuts and seeds, complex carbohydrate foods like beans and legumes and the blue zones that they might, you know, improve health and longevity? Does a biochemistry support it? Does a biochemistry support that eat lots of meat might be good for your health or bad for your health? You have to look at what does centenarians eat? That's the blue zones approach. But Dr. Longo puts that as a critical pillar. He's actually done a lot of his own centenarian research from Southern Italy, where he spent half a year growing up. The other half year was in Genoa and has studied hundreds of super elderly in Southern Italy, particularly, and has gained scientific insight. And he has, and then of course you include the randomized clinical trials of which there's a few on the Mediterranean diet, like one called Predimed and one called Cordioprep. When you take all that together, you end up with the food wars. Everybody can pick what they want. But my own inclination is, you know, rule number one, clean. Rule number two, very plant forward. And the last piece is if you have serious heart disease, the only data for serious heart disease is plant-based diets. I mean, then we have to get to anecdotes and Twitter and YouTube and 
case reports. But if you want to shrink plaque in your arteries, we don't have, you know, amazing dozens and dozens of randomized studies. But we have lots of good data that you can do that with a, you know, with a plant-forward whole food diet, as did Mr. Pritikin and Dr. Ornish and Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn at the Cleveland Clinic and Dr. Joel Furman of great New York Times bestselling book fame and the others have shown, and we still need lots more research, but it's an overwhelming flood of data that we can nourish the body. I mean, I've been vegan and really totally plant-based, no eggs, no dairy, no nothing but plants for 46 and a half, 47 years now. And that's a case report. I'm alive. I'm not in the protein deficiency, you know, ward of the hospital. Uh, I believe you take supplements. I don't think that's even a topic that causes you gray hair. I mean, most longevity biohackers, uh, Brian Johnson, a friend of mine that most people have heard about by now, spending $2 million a year to lower his biologic age with a plant-based diet, you know, it takes a hundred supplements a day and he publishes what they are and you can buy the same supplements if you want. He actually buys a lot right off Amazon. It's pretty humorous that he makes it pretty available to most people. So I do think a whole food plant-based diet is an intelligent choice. The last statement is, you know, there is the animal rights issue. And yes, some animals are killed when they harvest soybeans and whole grains and fruits and vegetables, perhaps, but we're not talking about the cruelty of factory farming and the disease spreading of factory farming, which is still where most people are getting their animal source foods. And when we address the environment, another point of argument, but just in the last couple of weeks, Oxford University published a major headline study, got press all over the world, you know, that a vegan creates 75% less stress in the environment, greenhouse gases, CO2 emission, than a heavy meat eater. That's the words of the study. So a lot of people are concerned about what we're doing to our planet as we're going to have 10 billion people on it in the next 20 years. And the, the movement towards lab meats and more efficient ways to feed people, you know, it's a very hot topic and a very controversial topic. I mean, is Bill Gates going to be in charge of our food supply in the United States around the world? I, I wouldn't vote yes for that plan, but he's certainly heavily involved in it. But there seems to be almost a governmental and worldwide push towards more plant-based eating for lowering greenhouse gas emissions. So that's the last little piece of it. Long answer to a great question. For listeners, so a lot of people you mentioned have been on the show, so I'll put links to it to Sean Baker, Paul Saladino, Mark Sisson, Walter Longo. And actually, when I had Walter Longo on, something I asked him at the end, so so the diet I follow, and I'll be super curious to get your thoughts on my cholesterol blood work from this. So I eat very high animal protein diet, lean animal protein. And then historically, I've always done either high carb or high or higher fat with it. So when I do high carb, which is what I am doing right now, what I've done for the longest portion of that, lots of fruit, lots of cucumbers, I drink wine. And then on the when I do the higher fat side of things, I don't have all that fruit and I do actually MCT oil. And the effects on my blood work are fascinating. But actually the question I asked Walter Longo was because he's very much about the low animal protein for not stimulating IGF-1 and mTOR and things like that. And so I asked him if, because I fast daily every day. So I asked him if it offset 
the high protein diet by doing the fasting. And his answer kind of relates to what you were saying in the beginning about hard to do certain studies, but he was like, well, we just don't know. So we don't know. <laughs> so, so like erring on the side of caution. Yeah. I, you know, it's very interesting to listen to him. You know, one of the most you know sophisticated, highly published, highly funded nutrition scientists in the world. It's also a little hard sometimes to capture his Italian version of English. So you have to really focus, but he's very cautious about what probably a lot of your audience is into. I mean, NMN and NR and peptides and, you know, any other version of kind of very advanced cutting edge biohacking. Because he always says, we don't know, it might stimulate mTOR, might stimulate cancer cells. We simply don't know. And as you know, he's more of a fan of eating in an 11 or 12 hour window, not a two or four or six hour window based on some data. There is some cardiology data. I mean, repeatedly that we surveyed 4,500 people with heart disease who skipped breakfast and we surveyed those that ate breakfast and in follow-up, there was less heart events in those that ate breakfast. And, you know, it's typical science. It's associations. You got to do multivariate analyses and, you know, the smokers skip breakfast and the major factor is the smoking, not the skipping breakfast. And, you know, again, really difficult to do randomized studies on it. But yeah, you know, he, we simply don't know. Of course, his version is largely plant-based with two or three servings of fish a week, salmon and I've actually written a few blogs about what he eats every day. I've interviewed him on the topic. It's usually breakfast and dinner and often coffee for lunch. But if he's in Italy, he won't skip a little pasta at lunch because it's too good and, and it's too traditional. But it's a very small portion of pasta. It's, it's not Cheesecake Factory, Fettuccine Alfredo, 2,500-calorie bomb. It's you know a, literally a little tiny side dish of pasta with marinara and lentils and probably under 500 calories. It's a very European, non-American approach to it all. I mean, I will say, just speaking of the studies, I went down the rabbit hole, like trying to read all the studies I could about all of this. And it just seems like you can find whatever you want to find. If you're looking to either, you know, demonize animal products or not, or, you know, vindicate certain things or not. And it's just very confusing. And I, I feel for people for being overwhelmed. I agree, you know, and a lot of us call it the food wars and at some medical meetings and functional medicine meetings, these are popular. A lot of us have gotten a little tired of it because you do leave people confused. Right before COVID, maybe 2018, I was pretty excited. I got invited to Googleplex, the headquarters of Google, and the second panelist made the movie Cowspiracy, and I'm apologizing for now and not rec- remembering his name. But the third panelist was Dave Asprey. I just saw him at his conference. Yeah, and, you know, and they specifically, I give them credit, said we're going to have a real lively conversation and we're going to have questions from any of the uh, employees of Google, of which, you know, when they beam it worldwide, obviously it was an enormous audience. But we're not going to confuse people. You guys have to come up with some commonality and some bridges. And, you know, I have no trouble with that because let's just talk about, you know, sweetened beverages and cookies and cakes and eating at 11 o'clock at night, chips and salsa and, you know, opioid abuse and alcohol abuse and, you know, factory farm meats. I mean, you know, maybe there's room that, you know, there's a diversity of diets, but I still carve out that little tiny piece you give me a patient that I have characterized with serious heart or other vascular blockage, 
you got to save that for the only science that's available. And not all my patients will do it. I mean, I have patients with very advanced heart disease and I've presented them the data and they all watch Forks Over Knives and they watch What the Health and they watch Game Changers movie and read my book or other people's book and I steer them towards, you know, credible podcasts and they don't want to do it, you know, 100%. So I work with them at 80, 85, 90, 95%. People that go to the Pritikin Center, which is now in Miami Beach, you know, they do serve two, three meals a week of venison or bison or salmon and the rest are whole food plant-based. So there are examples of people doing very well with, you know, a little slight wiggle room in the dietary approach. Hi, friends. Do you want to come hang out with me and Dave Asprey and so many other guests I've had on the show? You simply must come to the 10th annual biohacking conference, May 30th through June 1st in Dallas, Texas. And of course, I have a massive discount code for you guys. I went last year to the one in Orlando and it was one of the most fun times of my entire life. I met and got to hang out with so many guests that I've had on the show. I met so many of you guys. And of course, there's lots of Danger Coffee and Dave Asprey approved meals and dry farm wines. And that's just the social aspect. The conference itself is mind-blowing. They have this incredible expo where they have all the biohacking supplements, all the biohacking things. You can learn about them, try samples meet the creators and founders. If you haven't tried a lot of biohacking things, it's a great chance to actually try them out in person. Things like brain tap, infrared sauna, hyperbaric oxygen chambers, and so much more. There are so many incredible speakers as well. You can hear talks from people I've had on the show like Paul Saladino, Dr. Daniel Amen, Dr. Sarah Gottfried, Dr. Mercola, Dr. Annika Becca, and that is just a few of them. I seriously had the time of my life last year, and I would love to hang out with you guys. And you can get 35% off tickets. Just go to melanieavalon.com slash biohackingconference and use the coupon code BCMelanie to get 35% off your tickets. That's melanieavalon.com slash biohackingconference with the code BCMelanie to get 35% off your tickets. This code can be used for general admission or for VIP access. Seating is limited. They do sell out. They sold out last year. So get your ticket now. And if you come, definitely let me know because I want to meet you. So hopefully see you guys in Dallas. MelanieAvalon.com slash biohacking conference with coupon code BCMelanie. Get your tickets now. I'll see you guys there. I will say probably the, the biggest paradigm shift I had, and it was years and years ago, but it was when I was reading about somebody you mentioned in a lot of your books, which is Kempner. And I was reading about how his diet of basically like rice and sugar reverse would reverse diabetes. And I was like, okay, I think <laughs> I think I need to rethink some of my thoughts here. Yeah, very few people bring up Walter Kempner anymore. Uh, a German physician came over before the war landed at Duke University when Duke was a pretty backwater North Carolina institution, not famous like it is nowadays. And a lot of the reason people credit that Duke got on the map all over the world was Kempner had been doing work in Germany and set up work in Duke, the famous rice diet. You know, he basically was an inpatient program for diabetes, obesity, heart disease, congestive heart failure. I mean, it's published research. It's insane, fantastic almost unbelievable research, but it's multiple papers of taking people off their standard diet and putting them on strange foods like rice and chicken scraps and a little bit of little sugar on top for flavor. And 
people like Elizabeth Taylor used to go for weight loss and some of the people from the Bonanza show, if anybody's old enough to remember that show, it became, you know, such a hot ticket to go there that it really put Duke on the map. And, you know, he became quite a controversial figure because he was quite abusive to the, the people. He was a real stern policeman to the people in his program. But, yeah, you know, these kids with advanced kidney disease, swollen with edema, and, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight weeks later, it was like their kidneys were working. Nobody's, you know, really talked about him much anymore. I give you credit for bringing him up. There are biographies of him that are just fascinating. Michael Greger, MD of nutritionfacts.org, does a whole series of videos on him if people are intrigued to learn. But it sure makes you pause if anybody says there's only one diet that's therapeutic for reversal of disease, go study Walter Kempner and try and figure that one out. Yeah, it was just such a paradigm shift because it was when I was very much in the low-carb keto sphere. And I read that and I was like, okay, I mean, that's just the antithesis of of everything right now that I'm experiencing. So yeah, definitely recommend listeners look more into that. So I would be super curious on your thoughts on my, I know it's N of one, but my cholesterol panel right now, because I've seen that when I, when I do those stints of adding in the, the fat, which is typically MCT oil, all my cholesterol, HDL, LDL go up. But like right now I've been doing for a long time, high animal protein, like, and I'm talking lots of animal protein, like pounds, a lot of fish, a lot of scallops, chicken though, some steak, salmon. And like right now, my, I almost wonder if it's too low. Cause right now my cholesterol is 104. My LDL is 49. My HDL is 40. My trigs are 69. My ApoB is 70. And what I find so fascinating by this is I will... I have a graph for the past like two years of all these blood work tests I've been doing. I've been regularly testing this panel every, you know, three to six months. And I don't really add in animal fat. I add in plant fat and remo- remove the carbs. Everything will go up, like the cholesterol, the HDL, the LDL. I don't know if the trigs really do. The trigs probably do too. What do you think that says about animal products and cholesterol? And again, I know I'm one of one, an end of one. Yeah. You know, you go back, and I, I so much like that structure that Longo has, five pillars, and you look at all the science. I think I just had a little interaction on Twitter in the last 10 days, and I pulled out of my head a study that I had talked about on the uh, Rogan show when I was on 2018. It was a study published in 1998 in what are called metabolic ward studies. You know, you volunteer for four weeks to go to the National Institutes of Health, And maybe each week you're fed a different diet and they analyze your blood work or some other measure of health. And they're, you know, it's all controlled. So you're, you know, you're not sneaking out and having bags of chips on the side. So it's about the best metabolic science that can be done. These are usually paid volunteers. And in 1979, a paper was published that I think looked at over 350 metabolic studies on the relationship between diet and cholesterol. And the overwhelming, you know, line of identity, the R value, the statistics was saturated fat higher, you know, LDL cholesterol higher. I mean, it wasn't one study. It was literally hundreds and hundreds of studies. And when they lumped them all together, they were even more powerful and unanimous. But even if you look at a graph like that, there is a wide amount of scatter amongst that dark, solid black line that's in the middle that catches your eye. You know, your microbiome isn't like some other microbiome and your 
LDL snips aren't like another person's LDL slips. On all I ask these people that do diets that aren't, you know, naturally low in saturated fat is just do your blood work, you know, eight weeks later, like you've done, you've responsibly done. We know there's a panel of blood work on a lab that a lot of people run called Boston Heart Labs. It's not your standard labs that you find it in an advanced clinic. Boston Heart Labs has an analysis of what are called blood sterols, S-T-E-R-O-L, like the end of the word cholesterol. And you can get a sense from analyzing sterols, is your physiology a hyperproducer of LDL cholesterol or a hyperabsorber of LDL cholesterol in your gut or both? You clearly are not, Melanie, a hyperabsorber because if you're a hyperabsorber with all that saturated fat that's in your diet at times, your LDL cholesterol should skyrocket up. You might just biologically be kind of geared to handle saturated fat without a rise in cholesterol. But I'm absolutely telling you, there's lots of other people that would eat your diet, including one I'm thinking of right now, a delightful 60-year-old woman in my clinic who eats your diet, and her cholesterol runs 480, like a lot of people on Twitter that post you know, biohacking numbers, like Dave Feldman and others that come to mind. I mean, her, her, and I found in her chart times when her cholesterol was 200 and before she came to see me and said, what the heck was going on six years ago when your total cholesterol was 200 and now it's 480, which goes, I was eating a largely vegan vegetarian diet back then. I just didn't stick with it and wanted to proceed on to this. This particular woman's not really treating any illness. It's not like she's doing a carnivore diet for rheumatoid arthritis or autoimmune disease. She's just doing it. She likes it. But she clearly has a different physiology than you. I just posted on social media about five days ago, because we are advancing on this, that with a little cheek swab, you can get some SNPs run, and you can find out if your LDL cholesterol SNPs favor a high LDL cholesterol on a genetic basis, favor a low LDL on a genetic basis. You know, a lot of people change their diet anticipating they will be able to lower their LDL cholesterol with a whole food plant-based diet, with other dietary approaches. And some of them hit a home run and some hardly see any improvement. And, you know, they're so frustrated by it and they're authentically eating. You know, uh, there's something out there called the portfolio diet. I would even offer that probably most of your listeners don't know it, but it's a dietary approach developed at the University of Toronto to lower cholesterol without becoming a full-born vegan but by adding in four food groups that are known to lower cholesterol, high fiber groups like soy-based foods like tempeh and tofu, lots of nuts and seeds, lots of sterile-based foods like sunflower seeds and sesame seeds, like on the last group, I think it's oats. But anyways, some people adopt this portfolio diet that in the published research tended to drop cholesterol about 25 to 30% in eight weeks. And other people do it and don't see a 5% drop in cholesterol. It's either the microbiome, it's these LDL SNPs, it's your propensity to make and hyperproduce cholesterol in your liver or not, and your, your gut's ability to absorb that saturated fat you put in your gut or not. So, you know, you have to do that end of one experiment you did. And that's all I ask people. Change your diet eight weeks later. Let's see what's happening. And certainly my experience is the trend will be more people will get in a, a healthy cholesterol range with lots of fiber-rich whole food choices than they will with a lot of animal food and MCT oil, but you're a stunning and interesting example. I, in my opinion, your cholesterol is not too low. In the last five years to 10 years, 
in the cardiology world for people with serious heart disease. You know, we had statins, and we got a drug called Zetia. Then we got a PCSK9 injectable cholesterol inhibitors that were released about eight years ago. We got a new drug out in the last four years called Nexlatol. We got more advanced drugs called Lecvio. We can make a bypass patient's cholesterol 90 or 100, and their LDL 25 or 30. And there's vast amount of data that that is perfectly safe, perfectly fine. They make their pregnenolone, they make their testosterone, they have vitamin D in their body, they have brain function that appears to be quite intact. And you don't need to do that for the routine patient, but there are people like you that do it and feel fine, and there are people that we create it and they feel fine. So the new international goal for LDL lowering for advanced heart disease patients is an LDL less than 55. That's a very aggressive goal compared to previous goals of LDL cholesterol less than 100 or less than 70. But as you do that, a lot of them end up in that LDL cholesterol 30 range, and they feel fine. And if you're tracking the plaque, and we should talk about how do you track plaque in arteries, but if you're tracking the plaque in the arteries, it's pretty dramatic how you can see resolution in a lot of the plaque over 6 to 12 months. So we're crazy, but the crazy seems to be safe and effective. Those low numbers that I have right now, that's when I'm doing really high animal protein with lots of fruit, but low fat. And so in the past, when I would do, I would add basically just MCT oil. So medium chain fats rather than saturated, but that's when it would go higher. So like back then I was just looking like my total was 205. My LDL was 131, I think was the highest I went. 61 for HDL, 74 for trigs. So I seem to respond, I do respond to that shift. I just find it interesting how low it can get, you know, when I do low fat, high protein, sorry, low fat, high carb, high protein. And I love that genetic test. I'm gonna have to look into that, that cheek swab. I'll give them a shout out. I don't have any conflict. Uh, there's others out there, but this was one called Genninco, G-E-N-I-N-C-O-D-E, and pretty well-priced and seems quite accurate. Oh, I'm going to look into that. Major question for you that relates to all of this, and you touched on it a little bit with statins and things like that. So I read your, you know, your newest book, Lipoprotein A, The Heart's Quiet Killer. I'm so fascinated by this. And it sounds like, do you think LP little a is one of the primary reasons that statins may or may not work for people? Yes. In fact, again, I, my life isn't all about social media, but I did post this morning, yesterday morning, you know, that if you take uh, large statin trials and people with serious heart disease, of course, I know your listeners know statins are like Lipitor, Crestor, the prescription drugs that block an enzyme in the liver and lower your production of LDL cholesterol, so your blood LDL cholesterol goes down, been used for about 35 years and have side effects, muscle aching, raise your blood sugar, give you brain fog, a little liver enzyme bump, but largely are quite safe and tolerable drugs if you use them intelligently. When you look at the trials across the uh, spectrum that have been done, and you know, big trials, 30,000, 20,000, 40,000 people, you add them all up, some of the largest studies ever done in medicine, you drop the risk that the patient has for a heart attack, a stent, a bypass, a death by about 40%. But that leaves 60%. That's actually called residual risk. And it may be that we're doing better than that now because we're not relying only on statins. We're relying on these combinations of various approaches and hopefully, hopefully lifestyle. 
And we may be reaching, you know, LDL cholesterol reductions of 50 to 60%, which may translate into even better results for the patients. But it's called residual risk. And it has been estimated that the biggest piece of the pie of residual risk, you know, why don't we eliminate 90% of a heart patient's risk for future events? Maybe this genetic cholesterol called lipoprotein A that still is in its infancy for being well-known and for being practiced by practitioners in terms of a simple blood test and counseling a patient, which is why I went out and wrote a simple but, you know, available book because nobody else in the world had written a book on what lipoprotein A is. You know, it's a, it's a molecule very similar in structure to LDL cholesterol, but there's one extra piece added onto it that makes it totally different and totally unique. And, um, of people, their liver makes LDL cholesterol for survival, but 20 to 25% of people get a genetic ability on chromosome 6, if I remember, that they're now able to make two cholesterols. They're able to make LDL cholesterol and lipoprotein A cholesterol. And lipoprotein A cholesterol in some people is a really bad actor, and it's 20 to 25% of people. And everybody's one blood test away of knowing if their parents gave them the ability to make it or didn't give them. You only need to do the blood test once if it's negative, but it can cause clotting of blood, thrombosis. It can cause atherosclerosis. It can easily be taken up by the lining of cells and become part of plaques, and it causes inflammation. And, you know, if you had a plan, a heart attack or stroke, you drive up clotting, inflammation, and plaque formation. So lipoprotein A can cause heart attacks, cause strokes. It also uniquely can cause one of the four heart valves called the aortic valve to become damaged, calcified, and narrowed. And a lot of people have to deal in their 50s, 60s, and 70s with a condition called aortic stenosis that may require surgery or other procedures. And uh, lipoprotein A is the reason for the season. And yet, you know, the estimates are 1% or 2% of patients seeing their doctor may get a lipoprotein A blood test, which Questlab, LabCorp, your local hospital, everybody runs it. It's it's neither expensive nor exotic. It's harder to get the genetic test. It's simple to get a lipoprotein A blood test. So everybody should get it checked. The statins do not treat lipoprotein little a. They do not lower it. They either leave it neutral or they actually, unfortunately, actually cause it to go up and go higher and potentially become more dangerous. And so statins are I think that's the reason there's residual risk because in these large studies, lipoprotein A wasn't measured. It turns out they were giving statins to 20 to 25% of the group that had lipoprotein A and driving lipoprotein A up while they were driving LDL cholesterol down. Now, you mentioned, because you're a sophisticated person and your audiences, you can still do the blood test called ApoB or apolipoprotein B which is a combination of all the bad atherogenic particles in one blood test. And lipoprotein little a will show up in your ApoB blood test and LDL cholesterol will show up in your ApoB blood test. So if you have a serious heart patient and you put them on a statin and their LDL goes way down, which is the plan, and their lipoprotein A goes up a little bit, but the ApoB goes down, you've probably done them a net benefit. You've made one atherogenic particle better. You made one atherogenic particle worse, but you can use the ApoB to say, overall, I help my patient. But I only can imagine what would have happened in those big statin trials if we would have segregated out those that had really high lipoprotein A 
and not included them in the trials. You probably would have seen, who knows, um, projecting a much bigger drop in risk. And then, you know, there is no FDA-approved treatment for lipoprotein A, but a drug company out of Switzerland called Novartis, a drug company, Amgen, and a startup, I think it's called Silent Therapeutics, if I remember, all have drugs pretty far along in testing, probably going to be out in 2025 or so, that will be very expensive, but very helpful additions to the toolbox. For those that don't have lipoprotein A, we'll use this group of cholesterol-lowering drugs and lifestyle. And for those that have cholesterol and lipoprotein A, we'll have new tools that seem to be very effective. We just have to wait for the FDA to say they also prevent stroke and heart attack because that's the criteria for drug approval nowadays. Oh my goodness. Okay. I have questions. I mean, the implications of this seem huge, even even beyond just the statin trials, because if it has that much of a profound effect on everything and that factor wasn't being accounted for really historically in most of the studies on cholesterol levels and heart disease and mortality, I just feel like you, you would need to like bring in AI to like go and rework the studies. I, I agree. It puts a lot of questions and I, and I just encourage those listening, ask your practitioner for the blood test, find somebody capable of giving you some decent counsel or read on your own. Don't throw your statin down the toilet necessarily. I will tell you, and I, you know, I don't know how much you want to talk about pharmacology, but you know, on a lot of natural-oriented podcasts, you don't talk a lot about pharmacology. I like to use lifestyle and supplements, but when we have sick people, we use whatever tool we need. There's a really interesting group of studies out of Korea in the last two years, and they all get called the RACING trials, R-A-C-I-N-G. It's an acronym for something. And instead of doing what cardiologists like to do, which is, you know, Mrs. Jones, Mr. Smith, here's your Lipitor 40 milligram, here's your Crestor 20 milligram. They've been doing, and part of it is a large randomized study, small dose statin with a second drug that used to be called Zetia, but now it's generic. So it's called ezetimibe that really provides great synergy. Statins work in the liver, ezetimibe works on a receptor in your intestinal wall. It prevents the uptake of cholesterol from your diet or from your bile. And when you put the two together at very low dose, what the randomized studies in heart patients in Korea show is you get better LDL cholesterol reduction because they really work well synergistically. Even though the statin dose is very low, you get half the side effects because the statin dose is very low. So blood sugar rises, muscle aching, brain fog, liver enzyme rise. And when they actually do advanced CT scans of people's heart arteries, you get more plaque reduction shrinkage with the combination. So there's so many things we need to start over again, like stop writing medium and high dose statins as your first choice. We've got data now that this combination low dose statin plus ZETIA, Z-E-T-I-A, is a better approach. And they actually just published a study two to three weeks ago with 100,000 patients in Korea where they verified that this combination approach was safer and better. And the thing is for lipoprotein A in my own clinic, People come to me and their lipoprotein A is 250, normals less than 75, and they're on 40 milligrams of Lipitor. And I say, look, you need therapy, but let me drop you down to 10 milligrams of Lipitor and add the Zetia in. I bet you I'm going to have the same cholesterol and LDL cholesterol you've got now, but I bet you we can drop your lipoprotein A. I think your high-dose statin is stimulating more production. And sure enough, eight weeks later, we get the labs and 
you know, they're excited. Wow, my lipoprotein A is down to 175, which is still high, but it's 40% lower than it was. And my total cholesterol, my LDL cholesterol are just as good or even sometimes a little better. So, but, you know, we're all creatures of habit and my colleagues are great creatures, but they're creatures of habit. So trying to innovate, trying to educate and, you know, help people. And we do need these new drugs to come out. There's a little data that hormone replacement therapy in a recently menopausal woman who has a high lipoprotein little a is effective at bringing it down. There's a supplement called L-carnitine that's mildly effective at bringing it down. Very little data, but a little data that a natural agent called amla, Indian gooseberry, a powder or a capsule or a, a tea can bring it down. CoQ10, maybe a little bit. You know, my favorite cardiovascular supplement is CoQ10 for a lot of reasons. Hi, friends. Okay, so I'm a little bit embarrassed because I've been talking for so long about red light and near infrared therapy, which is so, so important. However, I kind of left out something really important about light. So, as you guys know, I've been talking about red light and near infrared for so long. And at the same time, during the day, I was using a bright, sad light. So it's those white lights that help with waking you up, help with your circadian rhythm. They're used to combat mood issues and depression. So I have a really bright white one of those at my desk. A few things about that. I knew it helped wake me up and kept me stimulated, but I wasn't sure if it had any detrimental effects using it. And then two, I was also wondering if by just focusing on red and near-infrared light, was I somehow missing something in the full spectrum of light? Guess what? I was. And guess what? I found the solution and guess what? I have a discount for you guys. So the founder of a company called Soulshine reached out to me and he was like, do you know about the importance of full spectrum light? And I was like, you know what? I've been wondering about this for quite a while. Please educate me. Oh my goodness. This man blew my mind. I talk a lot about the problems of blue light. That said, we evolved in natural full spectrum sunlight that our genes are programmed to respond to. And today we do not spend enough time in that light. A lot of us don't go outside and we're overexposed to blue light. It's a problem. And then to make things even more problematic, the common sad lights that I was talking about that are bright white, they actually do not contain the full spectrum light. They filter out certain wavelengths and they're high in blue light. So just like I thought, it was not doing my health many services. There is only one company I have found, or I guess that found me, that makes a full spectrum white light device. So the Soul Light Systems include the fullest spectrum of visible and invisible near-infrared light with traces of UV light. Yep, that's right, because you need all of that as well. Don't worry, it's not an exuberant amount that's going to cause a problem. It's just a tiny little dose that your body actually needs. You can use these lights to fix your circadian rhythm and properly stimulate your brain's suprachiasmatic nucleus or SCN in a way that it was supposed to be stimulated. It's kind of like the natural spectral diet because yes, you may be suffering from malillumination. Did you know that your entire bloodstream actually filters through your eyes in a relatively short amount of time. That's the only way your blood is exposed to the outside world. So when we expose our eyes to this light, it actually can have beneficial effects on our blood. That is crazy. It helps with skin, with mood. This is the light that I wasn't thinking about that we need. I love Soulshine's light therapy devices. I do use it in combination with my red and near-infrared light devices as well so that I can fully bathe my body in the best light that is so helpful 
for my sleep, for my stress, for my metabolism, for my immunity, for my health, so many things. They have so many different device options. They have one that I love that kind of looks like a juve and I sit it on my desk and it has options for the full spectrum light, which is that bright white light, as well as an ear infrared option. So what I do is I do a session of the full spectrum light in the morning and then I run the near infrared to help counteract the negative blue light around me. They also have stands with bulbs that you can get. I've been using some of those on my plants. I am just so grateful that Ken at Soulshine found me because I was missing out on such a key aspect of light and I had no idea. And you can get 10% off at melanieavalon.com slash soulshine. That's S-O-L-S-H-I-N-E with the code Melanie Avalon. So melanieavalon.com slash soulshine, S-O-L-S-H-I-N-E with the code Melanie Avalon for 10% off. It's really helped my mood, my energy, my sleep, so many things. I think you guys will love it. So again, go to melanieavalon.com slash soulshine, S-O-L-S-H-I-N-E and use the coupon code Melanie Avalon to get 10% off site-wide. And we'll put all this information in the show notes. So to clarify, it sounds like since the LPA or LP little a is produced by the liver, then dietary cholesterol itself, I'm guessing, wouldn't affect that number. But the food you eat, I mean, if you eat like a high carnitine food, could that affect it? Like what? So what role will diet play? You go back about 25 years, there's some studies because lipoprotein A was discovered 60 years ago, and there have been you know quite a few studies over the years. We need more. There was some data that a high saturated fat diet may help lower lipoprotein little a, but it was in the range of 20, 25%. And if you have a high lipoprotein A, you'd like to lower it 75, 80, 90%. So it was modestly effective. And in 2018, a colleague of mine in Houston published an observational study, far from perfect, but it was still data, that a whole food plant-based diet lowered lipoprotein little a about 20%. So you can pick either end of the spectrum, and maybe the key is, again, just getting rid of crap in the middle. But I, you know, generally, lipoprotein A is frustrating because unlike people who effectively lower their total cholesterol with diet and exercise and fasting and weight loss, lipoprotein A is like this. If you know the, the videos about the honey badger, the honey badger don't care about nothing. There's some really interesting motivational videos about this animal out there in the world, don't care about nothing. And that's kind of what I feel lipoprotein A is like, it just doesn't care what you do with your lifestyle. So now I'm just hypothesizing, but say you were taking in no dietary cholesterol and then you did take in dietary cholesterol, would that make your liver produce less cholesterol because you're taking in dietary cholesterol and then produce less LPA, little a? Yeah. You know, dietary cholesterol, very long series of studies, 70 years, source of a lot of argument. You know, it really depends if the question is dietary saturated fat or dietary cholesterol. Dietary cholesterol is usually a very small amount, even if you eat eggs and animal products. You measure dietary cholesterol in the milligrams, where you usually measure dietary saturated fat in the grams and grams and grams that an average American eats. There's just much more in the cheese and in the meats and egg yolks and the rest. Dietary cholesterol does not consistently raise blood cholesterol. A vegan myself, I eat nothing that has cholesterol in it because I don't eat any animal foods of any kind. If I started eating animal foods, again, I'd have to eat cholesterol, not saturated fat. So, you know, if I start taking cholesterol tablets, which are available, I don't use them, of course, you might see minimal change in my blood cholesterol. 
if I were to start eating a high saturated fat diet, maybe coconut oil, but certainly, you know, animal foods, I would anticipate my cholesterol would, you know, trend up pretty readily. Well, speaking of the honey badger, I do love that. (laughs) It's so funny. Such a funny video. I I had the pleasure about 10 years ago to spend some time at some of the marketing courses with Joe Polish. And maybe you know Joe Polish of Phoenix or don't. Uh, There's a lot of medical people that participate in his training programs, but he just would play the honey badger YouTube over and over and, you know, be like a honey badger. Don't care about anything, but, you know, success in your business. And it's just a funny analogy for anybody that hasn't watched it. Go, go Google or you do whatever search engine duck, duck, go for honey badger video. Oh, I love the honey badger. And speaking of the honey badger, not the same animal, but I'm wondering why do you think LP little a is produced only in humans, some primates, and then the hedgehog? The hedgehog. Yeah. You're a very good student. And, you know, nobody actually knows that question. The world's expert, I think it's fair to say, in lipoprotein little a is a professor of Greek origin at University of California, San Diego, Dr. Sam Simikas, T-S-I-M-I-K-S. He's a medical doctor, maybe with a PhD, and he's clearly the, the shaker and the mover currently of most research and trials, a wonderful guy, very active on Twitter. If you want to learn about lipoprotein A, you follow uh, LPA underscore doc on Twitter, and he does great educational symposiums on Saturdays, a very friendly, approachable guy. But he doesn't know the answer to it. And, and another question that's often asked is, why do we have it at all? It sounds like it's a bad thing. And there is a little data, very little data, that if you're bleeding and you have inherited lipoprotein A, which has a tendency to cause blood to clot, there might be some small chance that at that moment it might actually be of some value. There's been a little theory that perhaps during child delivery, a woman who's bleeding that happened to be amongst the group that had lipoprotein A might have had a slightly better chance of survival. And I've seen at least one paper that patients with like a brain bleed, a subarachnoid bleed that have lipoprotein A might have a slightly smaller bleed than people that don't. So that's the theory that, you know, there's other molecules in the body. We don't know why they're there. We have a group of cholesterol drugs called PCSK9 inhibitors that are a monoclonal antibody to a particle in the blood called PCSK9. But we don't know why we have PCSK9. They're just very effective drugs. So, you know, we got much to learn. Yeah. And what I'm really fascinated by this, and I think it's another, speaking of like paradigm shifts, because I think people will often go from conventional medicine, standard American diet to this really holistic approach like we're talking about, but then they want to be all, like it's only diet and lifestyle. There's no room for pharmaceuticals. And it sounds like with this, like if you have this gene to make LP little a, you know, you possibly would benefit if there is in the future a pharmaceutical intervention. So, you know, it gives me a little segue if it's okay. Yeah, please. What I do in my clinic and what I, you know, this is what I would love your listeners to do is you give me two patients and their cholesterol is 250 and their lipoprotein A is 180, both of which are high numbers. And I look at them and they're nice people. And I have absolutely, and I would say no cardiologist or no clinician has any ability to actually say that on paper, these look concerning. But I can't tell you if you're aging internally, there's a concept called arterial age or vascular age. In the 1600s, an English physician, Thomas Sidingham, said you are as old as your arteries. And a lot of us do telomere and 
glycan age and epigenetic age testing, but we ignore completely, and I hear so many longevity experts go on and on and never mention blood vessel age, which, you know, you're more likely to die prematurely of stroke, heart attack, ruptured aneurysm than you are of a whole lot of other conditions. Let's talk about vascular age. So I will take those two people and I will do, my menu is largely one of three tests. And I will reassure a lot of people and I will worry some people when those tests are done. I will do a carotid ultrasound, a painless, simple non-radiation test, ideally done with a version called a CIMT, carotid intimal medial thickness assessment. It takes special software that even good universities and good vascular centers often don't have. Some longevity anti-aging doctor clinics do have. The concierge chain that some people use called MDVIP tends to make it available. My clinic makes it available. And I'll be able to tell you, you know, Melanie, you're 29 years old, but your vascular age is 21 and your lipid particles at this point aren't bothering you. Or your vascular age is 49 and your lipid particles are apparently causing you vascular aging and we need to work on it. As an example, that's one option and it's nice. It's not covered by insurance. They have this advanced vascular ultrasound of your carotids. It may be $200, $250 range. It's not incredibly out of range. And it's just not easy to find a place that does it. The second test, and I wouldn't do it on a young woman. Usually, I did order it today on a 36-year-old I saw in the clinic today. But is a heart calcium CT scan. Literally a five-second test at your local hospital where you lie in a stretcher, go in a CT scanner, no needle, no IV, no injection, no iodine, the same radiation exposure as a woman gets from a mammogram, which is generally considered low, not zero, but low, and you can determine if your heart arteries are getting calcified, a very reliable marker of atherosclerosis, that's why we call it hardening of the arteries, or whether you have a calcium score of zero and your heart arteries are not getting calcified. The only drawback to getting the wonderful result that your heart calcium score is zero, which I have done this on 15, 20,000 patients. I have a calcium score zero at age 64 I'm grateful for, is you can occasionally have a little plaque called soft plaque. It won't show up in the calcium score. In studies that are done, it seems to be quite benign because people with a calcium score zero have an incredibly low risk of stroke and heart attack or hospital admission. But that's something we'll do. And I'll suggest to these two people, now that's about a $100 test, not covered by insurance. And you don't do it every year. You don't want a CT scan every year. But if you're a zero, you might do it again in five to seven years. The real current buzz is a test that I resisted for a long time. It's called a coronary CT angiogram. It does involve an IV. It does involve administering iodine dye. You get hot for 20 seconds. You can't be allergic to iodine dye. You get a Band-Aid, you go home. So the test is maybe 45 minutes, but the real portion that's important is about 30 seconds. Because you inject dye, you can fill the heart arteries. You can see them and interpret them. And there is now, you mentioned already, AI. There's a company I'm not an investor in, sadly, Clearly Health, C-L-E-E-R-L-Y-H-E-A-L-T-H.com. And they will take those images, whether they're done in San Diego or New York or Miami or Seattle or Detroit, Michigan, and they will analyze them. And you get a report back exactly how much hard calcified plaque in your coronary arteries and where, how much soft non-calcified invisible plaque is in your coronary arteries and where, what percentage narrowing is in each of the coronary arteries. And they've introduced a new concept 
that if you get diagnosed with cancer, the first thing you do is they stage your cancer. You got stage 2B breast cancer or stage, you know, four metastatic prostate cancer. We don't do that with heart disease. We just say you got heart disease. So based on this artificial intelligence interpret of the CT scan, we're now telling people you're stage zero, one, two, or three coronary artery disease. This is all in the last two years. I've ordered 250 of these. I've had one of myself. Probably there's been 20, 30,000, but it's still infantile. Most cardiologists are not aware that they could arrange for their patient to have a clearly health CT angiogram with artificial intelligence interpretation. The basic CT part may or may not be covered by insurance. The clearly health at the present time is not, so the combination can be $1,500. Some people find that no big deal. Some people find that a stretch. They're trying to get insurance coverage. It's radically changing the precision of what we do in preventive medicine. And the cool thing is, so now we're back to these two people in front of me with the numbers I mentioned. One person has no carotid plaque, no carotid thickening, no calcium score, no CT angiogram soft plaque. I ignore their numbers. I mean, I encourage them to follow a healthy lifestyle, and I'll see them back and recheck them in a few years. And the other person has vascular aging and vascular senescence going on, and we're going to attack them with everything available. So that's the state-of-the-art cardiology preventive care. And it's not just salad. It's very high-tech, you know, precision measurements. But God, is it exciting. The cool thing is clearly health has been available a little more than two years. And all of us that are using it are starting to see some people back that go for a repeat study 48 months later or something, 24 months later, 36 months later. And we're seeing the amount of plaque shrink dramatically, the soft plaque, by lifestyle, by blood pressure control, by you know supplements, because there's even there's randomized studies that taking an aged garlic tablet, keolic garlic, you can buy it anywhere, shrinks soft plaque and coronary arteries. So there are natural supplements with you know, peer-reviewed studies that support them. And all these drugs we got to lower LDL cholesterol. But we need better lipoprotein A lowering, and then we'll really have a powerful toolbox across the board. So, because I know I've heard an argument in like the carnivore sphere specifically where They'll say that they go in for a just a normal scan for plaque and it's completely clear. But then I've heard the counter argument being that it should be clear if you're a certain age. That like basically that's not really saying much. So are you saying that this new angiogram, like a person might go in for the normal scan and not find anything, but mm-hmm. if they go in with this, it would find more? It it could find more. I mean, I'll say out loud, I've had a calcium score when I was 40, 50, and 61. They were all zero. But when this technology came out and was available in Detroit, I went and had a coronary CT angiogram. I don't do that with patients. I would rarely ask them to cough up 1500 bucks and get a little extra radiation. But, you know, I wanted to go through the process and I had seven cubic millimeters of non-calcified plaque in one of my arteries, which is about the lowest amount the company had ever seen. And at that point, I was about 62 years old. You know, but it did show sign. I, I wouldn't necessarily do that. If your carotids are clean, because you can see soft and hard plaque in the carotid ultrasound, and your calcium score is zero, you're in very good shape. You know, and again, Sean Baker in 2017 had a calcium score zero. It's time that he repeats it, and I hope it's still zero. And it's not inevitable that it's going to transition to a 
a higher and higher number. I do know some of our favorite health leaders around the country clearly have come up to me over the years and they don't have a calcium score zero, but it's not necessarily a slam on the diet they follow. It could be. It could be that it's a slam. And, you know, it's such a complex formula of your genetics and your lifestyle and your stress and your sleep. And some people, you know, used to have unhealthy lifestyles and maybe for the past three, four years have, you know, transitioned and are famous for it. But, you know, people should get checked, whether you're a celebrity Instagrammer or just somebody learning and wanting to know. Currently, you need prescriptions to get the coronary artery calcium score and to get the coronary CT angiogram. You can't just go get one. So you got to find a doctor that understands it and will play the game with you. That can be frustrating for some people. Do something. Don't assume your arteries are fine. It's, a, it's, a, it's I think, the biggest deficit in American medicine that we don't screen for silent atherosclerosis like we screen for colon cancer, breast cancer, cervical cancer, and prostate cancer. We screen for four cancers. We don't screen for heart disease. And we're $100 away or $200 away from having precise data to you know, assist you. Hi, friends. So I'm sort of haunted by clothes. If you follow me on Instagram, you probably know that I love wearing all the new clothes all the time. And I know that that is not really sustainable and not good for the planet. That's why I am thrilled that there is now a way to get all of the clothes with none of the waste. And I'm going to tell you how you can get unlimited clothes with no waste for a month for free. That's right, I now have a website for both myself and you guys where you can get free unlimited clothes with free shipping, free exchanges, nonstop from all of the hottest brands, and it is so incredibly easy. It's called MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. We have so many incredible brands, including my favorites like BCBG, Calvin Klein, and so many more. Think like a hundred brands. There are so many options. And the way it works is when you get a subscription, you search through the clothes, pick what you want. They send it to you with fast, easy shipping. You wear it as long as you want. And then when you're ready for more clothes, you just drop it off in their prepackaged envelope and get your next round. It is so incredibly cool. They have multiple plans. The starter plan gives you two pieces at a time. Friends, I actually have a little secret hack. Don't tell them that I told you this. When you get your two pieces, you can actually immediately go into your account, click return, and they'll go ahead and send you the next two pieces. So technically you can have four pieces at a time. You also have a cool virtual closet that you can keep stocked with everything you eventually want to order so you never miss out. And if you really like something and want to keep it, you can opt to buy it at a massively discounted price. Friends, I'm obsessed. This is finally the answer to wearing all the clothes all the time with none of the waste. Oh, and of course, one of my major reservations was the cleaning compounds that they use on the clothes because yes, it is dry cleaning, which normally makes me nervous. And they don't say this on the website. So I reached out to them and I was like, hey, what's going on with the cleaning? What do you guys use? Because I can't promote this if it's just normal dry cleaning. And thankfully, they let me know that they do not use any detergents, fabric softeners, or chemicals that are harsh. Everything is professionally dry cleaned or laundered with detergents that are free from dyes and scents. It's all gentle and it uses low temperature cycles. So yes, we are good on that front as well. It is the coolest thing ever. And you can try it free for a month. Yes, completely free. Just go to MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com to sign up. Free clothes for a month. After that, their plans are super affordable. We're talking honestly, an entire month is less than the cost of typically what would be the cost of one dress. And I am not kidding. That's right. 
unlimited clothes for less than the cost of one outfit. I'm just so thrilled to bring this resource to you guys. I can't wait to hear what you guys think. So again, get free unlimited clothes for a month at MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com for all of the clothes, none of the waste. And definitely share your pictures and tag me on Instagram because I want to see all the fabulous things that you guys are wearing. That's MelanieAvalon'sCloset.com. And one more question about the LPA, little A. <laughs> Since it's on or off, like yes or no, I did get it tested back in 20, I think 2018. The result just said less than 50. So does that mean that I could still have it? No, you really don't need to worry about it. You're not going to develop it. You would have had an elevated lipoprotein A blood level when you were two years old and every... More than 50. Yeah, every time after. But if you had a, a result in the normal range, you don't need to repeat it. You can cross that one off the things to worry about list. Oh, wonderful. Well, I want to be really respectful of your time. One last question. I can't let you go without talking about what are your thoughts on wine for heart health? Aha. Actually, you know, I also have a podcast and it comes out on Fridays. And that was the topic this week because there's been so much data back and forth. And, you know, the point I made on the podcast I'll make here is you have to pull out Dr. Longo's five pillars of nutritional longevity for wine discussion because we don't have randomized studies. So we got to talk about centenarian studies. Are there many people that lived into their 90s and 100s and enjoy wine. And you got to probably go to Sardinia as the best example. I'm not sure about in the Greek island, I'm blanking on it for a minute, Icaros, what their wine consumption. But they drink a lot in Sardinia, and Sardinia is a blue zone. They have a famous wine there called Canna now. that's uh, felt to be one of the two healthiest grapes on the planet. The other one is a grape called Tanat, T-A-N-N-A-T, from Maduran, France. That's another great grape. I got to get a bottle of that somewhere. Yeah, it's it's widely available. M-A-D-I-R-A-N is the style of wine and the grape is called Tanat. And your local wine shop probably has a bottle for $15. And Canna now is widely available for $15 or more if you want. So you got to do that whole analysis. You know, about, I think it was in the last six months, maybe less, there was a massive meta-analysis of studies over 40 years that concluded that there's no health benefit to wine and more than a drink a day correlates to health detriment. It actually wasn't exclusively wine. It was alcohol in general, but uh, they didn't find any different signal for wine than not wine. And, you know, it creates a lot of headlines. You know, wine and spirits are not health foods. You know, if they're neutral, if if we really knew that they were neutral to our health, a lot of us might enjoy a great glass of wine or a cocktail now and then. You know, there is some data about cancer, but you can find, just like food, because I just did this, there's some breast cancer studies that show lower rates of recurrence with, you know, one drink a day or less of alcohol. There are some crazy dementia studies, and I'm not talking 42 people. I'm talking databases of thousands of people that Alzheimer's risk goes down with modest alcohol consumption. And we're always talking responsible and limited. We're not talking about people with addictive tendencies or liver disease or 12-step programs. I mean, I am I, I honor my friends who've quit and their willpower in social settings and their comments of how better they feel and how better they sleep. There was a report in the last 10 days that for every ounce of alcohol you drink, your blood pressure may creep up a little bit. It was like two millimeters of mercury, three millimeters of mercury, 
But if your blood pressure goes up a small amount every day for years and years, it can have a health consequence. So, you know, one of my major messages is get a darn home blood pressure cuff and use it. Use it correctly. You know, sit quietly, measure your blood pressure three times in a row, about a minute apart, focus on the third number, and make sure you're not a silent hypertensive because more people die of elevated blood pressure than any other specific medical condition on the planet or on the world. Bottom line is I, I have been a good regular imbiber of a variety of alcohol, predominantly red wine. I have cut back in the last couple of months as a self-experiment. I'm sad to say, like, I dropped eight pounds in four weeks. I was so pissed because I, I was hoping I'd, I was hoping I'd notice nothing. I cut it out for a year. And then at the end, I was like, I'm never doing this again. Well, that's the thing. If you see no difference, you know, I, I sleep well and I didn't really notice any difference in my sleep. But I do think it's responsible to probably, you know, focus on from zero to two to three days a week. And, you know, the the standard statement is a drink a day for a woman, one to two drinks a day for a man. In most of the studies, four drinks or more a day is nothing but trouble, but trouble, but trouble. But, you know, that's 28 drinks a week. That's pretty hardcore drinking. And people should realize that that is not consistent with their longevity and anti-aging program. So it should be low. You know, it should be. What I find now, since I drink a little less, I'm opening the better bottles I have. And I'm having more fun with it all. <laughs> and I'm a snob. I like to drink Italian and French and Spanish. Tend to be lower sugar wines. Of course, there's some fun companies out there like Dry Farms that sells very... It's all I drink, Dry Farm wines. Yeah, a great wine, low sugar wine. There are some interesting companies now, and I, I have no relation to any of these companies. There's a CBD-based drink called Aplos, A-P-L-O-S, it makes you a little cocktail. It's an interesting little mix, a little pricey. And I just ordered a few non-alcohol wines off the web. So it's on Instagram. I can't comment on them yet. But those things are available out there if you still like the idea of a glass of something that's red in your hand with a meal and doesn't necessarily always have to give you a buzz. So, I mean, be cautious. I mean, it's, you know, it's clearly irresponsible for a physician to blow off the fact you know, my neighbor died five weeks ago of alcoholism at age 65 and, you know, was a friend. And, you know, I saw his brain go down the tube. I didn't know his liver was the next organ. And you're 65 years old, but you know, the power to disrupt a life with alcohol is clearly real. But if you're, if you're cool with it and you can handle it, just keep it clean, keep it healthy oriented and keep it relatively modest. I find it interesting that or fascinating that the mind diet includes I think a glass of wine is like part of what you're supposed to have. Yeah, you know, wine at five, part of the blue zones. You know, a glass of wine has been a part of every Mediterranean diet pyramid since that was described by Ansel Keys in the 1960s and 70s. Uh, that is why you go to those five pillars of longevity. What's consistent across the planet with healthy long lifespan? And apparently, you know, just like there's nutritional variability and genetic differences, we probably got the same for our ability to handle, metabolize, and tolerate, you know, some alcohol, but be careful. Yes, exactly. And I do want to emphasize, I think a lot of people don't really realize with a lot of conventional wines, all the the high alcohol, the high sugar. The sugar, the sugar, the sugar. Yeah. That's why, you know, if you're drinking rum and Coke, if you're drinking, you know, margaritas with simple syrups, Manhattans, Oh, they're sugar bombs. And if you're wearing a CGM, you'll see what, a, you know, you wear a continuous glucose monitor and have a glass of red wine, 
you see nothing. I mean, it does nothing to your blood sugar. You do that with a Manhattan, you'll see a, a big old spike. I actually see a longer term beneficial effect when I have wine versus not. Yeah. And that's a pretty universal observation with a CGM. Just one rapid fire question. Do you take daily aspirin? I don't. Uh, real quick cardiology answer is if you get that hard calcium score and it's well over 100, there are now two large university studies that say baby aspirin is a good idea. If you have a calcium score of zero, there's no need. And previous studies have kind of dispelled the idea that everybody should just take one at age 50 or 40. So I don't take aspirin. I do occasionally take a supplement people have heard of called natokinase. It's a little bit of a natural blood thinner. I have to send you my first supplement that I launched with serapeptase, and I love it. I'll have to send you a bottle. Yeah, I think the enzyme anticoagulants for the general public, you, if you have an artificial heart valve and you're supposed to be on Xarelto, you don't stop your Xarelto and start taking natokinase or serapeptase. But for the general public, there is a role for these things. You know, a lot of COVID injured, COVID vaccine injured people are taking natokinase, particularly right now. It's kind of a hot topic. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Khan. This has been a pleasure, such a joy. I'm so honored to have you on the show. How can people best follow your work? Are you writing any more books? I do want to write a book about how to manage calcium scores and CT angiograms. It's a big, empty spot in the literature right now, and it needs to be done. I've been doing online summits lately, and I've been enjoying those, interviewing other people and posting you know, reverse heart disease summits. I'll have another one coming out in early 2024. But I'm over at my website, drjoelkahn.com, D-R-J-O-E-L-K-A-H-N.com. I am a real doc still. I am licensed, I think, in 27 states. So see a lot of people by telemedicine, a lot of people live in Detroit. And so honored to join your great list of previous people you've interviewed. It's a real honor. Awesome. Thank you. Well, the last question, it's really easy. I ask every single guest on this show, and it's just because I realize more and more each day how important mindset is. So what is something that you're grateful for? I am very grateful. I'll give a shout out. I, I couldn't do what I do every week, every day without an amazing partner, my wife of 42 and a half years and somebody I met when I was nine years old in elementary school. So Really? <laughs> Karen gets the shout out. Uh, absolutely. Because, you know, I, you know, Today, I'm supposed to be off on these days, uh, end of the week, and I just fill it with activities all day long. I'm nuts. But anyways, fortunately found somebody that understands, you know, some of us are on a mission and a passion and supports that. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for being here on your day off. And just thank you for all the work you're doing. It's really wonderful. And I, I love your, like you said at the very beginning, you're out building bridges. And I just can't thank you enough for that. So thank you. I will talk to you in the future. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Melanie Avalon biohacking podcast. For more information, you can check out my book, What Win Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine, as well as my blog, MelanieAvalon.com. Feel free to contact me at podcast at MelanieAvalon.com. And always remember, you got this.